back to Take a Moment. I am Nathan Bennett. I'm Mari Yamaguchi. And today's episode, we're focusing on the contact center and how the contact center functions, what are some of the challenges that you might face working in a contact center, and managing a contact center. Our guest on this episode is an incredible person by the name of Stacy Weber. She is the Director of Client Experience and the Solutions Center at Medixcel. And I think you hit it on the head. Uh, it's also about the people. Mm-hmm. I think what sometimes we forget when we're calling in to probably a contact center when we have some sort of an issue, we're talking to a person. There's actually a person, a living, breathing person. Exactly. With problems of their own. Yes. And one of the things that she talked about, empathy. Mm -hmm. Huge for that agent to be able to calm me down Mm -hmm. when I'm maybe at a level 10, when I maybe probably should be toned down at a level Mm -hmm. five. So (laughs) You at a level 10, what does that look like? Is it just fire breathing? Fire breathing. Right, right. Angry chimpanzee. Angry chimpanzee. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I just, me at a level 10, I'm just, a, I'm weeping. Just, yeah. just yes. in a ball. Yeah, in a ball. Fetal kind position. Of shaking under, uh, fetal under the, position under the, under the desk. Yeah. That's me calling into a, a contact center, uh, usually when my cable goes out. Oh. That's usually what that is. But these, uh, one of the interesting things about this conversation is Stacy is in charge of a, of a, a smaller uh, contact center, but she's got a lot of people under her. And it's her challenge to inspire them to help every day. And how do you create an atmosphere there that is rewarding, that is creative, that doesn't just have a sort of mundane, I'm taking calls, I'm trying to solve people's little problems here and there. Because they take in, what, like almost 100 some odd calls, she said. So, I mean, and you already know the statistics of churn and attrition in a contact center. But they're doing a really good job. They're doing a great job their employees engaged and talking about the culture there. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to work there. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, which is, I know. She made it sound kind of nice, it did. actually. She did. It was an incredible conversation. We think it's really, really valuable. We know you're going to find lots of awesome nuggets. So enjoy yourself. Yes, and take a moment. Tell us about Medexcel, because I know you guys do a lot of different things, especially for the medical community. Give us a, a picture of what you guys do. Okay. Medexcel is a fully integrated service provider for healthcare services. So what that means is we do um, facilities maintenance. We do emergency management and safety within hospitals. Um, we support property management for the offsite locations affiliated with hospitals. We have a construction um, division, planning, design, and construction that helps manage capital um, improvements within different facilities. We have a compliance team that helps for survey readiness for our customers. And um, we just kind of do a whole gamut of things within a hospital. My team primarily works with dispatch. Okay. So dispatch within um, maintenance requests, actually. That's great. So, like, you guys are kind of a Swiss army knife of four hospitals. You kind of do a little bit of everything. Yes, we do. We And we keep adding um, services um, just because it seems like it fits in accordance to what we want to um, support our hospitals with. So, we also have an emergency management um, group that helps, you know, helps our hospitals become greener cool. within have a smaller carbon footprint. Is that correct? Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's... Carbon footprint, If we're yeah. talking about carbon footprints, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. 
<laughs> now you talked about having an external audience and then also an internal yes. uh, customer as well too. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. One of my, I have two groups. Mm-hmm. So I have the dispatch team that they're talking to our external customers. Those customers are the people that are in the facilities experiencing an issue. Mm-hmm. And then I have... An, and that uh, can be hospital staff or even... Patients, patients. yeah. Patients as well. Okay. Um, hospital staff, patients, any really anybody that is in a facility, one of our hospitals, and they find a number, our number, or they call the operator, mm-hmm. they will come to us for the most part. Okay, so let's say if I'm in a hospital, I'm staying there for a couple of days, and I have an issue, say, with my television, or my television doesn't work, do I tell a nurse? Do I call you guys? What happens? Lots of things happen. Sometimes patients will call a nurse. Sometimes they are, um, they find our number or they call the operator and they come to us. Okay. So for TVs and hot cold calls and um, toilets that won't shut off in a patient room, <laughs> um, we talk to both the nursing staff or the clinical staff and the patient, Okay. you know, or the patient's family. Okay. And you mentioned that a lot of these calls that you have are purely transactional. Can you tell us a little bit more about what transactional calls are yeah. as opposed to? So when I say transactional, what I mean by that is there's there's really um, standard processes for each call. They may differ a little bit, but it's high volume, rep- repetitive work. Okay. So, um, you know, it's not uncommon for one of my agents or coordinators to take 150 to 200 calls a day. It's pretty quick. They're like 90 second calls. Okay. So, so they resolve usually with that yeah, first contact. And, you know, it's not necessarily first call resolution. So this is dispatch. Okay. So if you think about what you, you know, it's not like 911, but 911 is a dispatch. And mm-hmm. a 911 operator isn't going to fix your, solve your problem, issue. Yeah. Yeah. They might you help you like, hey, do CPR, but right. <laughs> this team doesn't do that. What we do is we we talk to the customers and we take their information down. And depending on what the issue is, um, they will escalate it. And yeah. so our team isn't in, just inbound. We are inbound and outbound. Okay. We handle about 42 to 45 interactions total a month. That is talking to customers and then calling our local um, teams out in our hospitals if there's an issue okay. um, like an emergency like a, someone's trapped in an elevator or um, we open this closet and there's water pouring down and it's really close to a server you know things like that all huge problems yeah all very huge big problems. so somebody getting trapped in the elevator is a little bit bigger of a problem than my television not working in my hospital room yes and you guys handle anywhere uh, problems that run the gamut I would imagine right. What we, what I tell people, because it's like, how do you prioritize that? Or how do you train people to prioritize that? What I tell people is that um, safety risks or, you know, not necessarily just life safety, but at any time there is a safety risk or massive damage to the building, that's an emergency and priority one. There's a lesser emergency that we call an immediate response. And that's where there's like patient satisfaction mm-hmm. might be involved. We have a lot of those. TVs are a patient satisfier, right. obviously. Right. Um, hot rooms, cold rooms, those are patient satisfier. So we look at it from, you know, the standpoint of safety and building um, damage to, you know, the patient satisfaction issue. That's hmm. that's a really broad way to describe it. We have a lot of different um, components to it, but an elevator entrapment, 
that's a priority one, <laughs> right? Um, a room that's just uh-huh. not, you know, a patient is just a little too cold in, that's probably a priority too. Right. TV is a priority too. Gotcha. I, when I was a kid, for some reason, I, I think it was because I watched so many sitcoms on like Nick at Night or <laughs> reruns of Different Strokes or something like that. It seemed like every sitcom had somebody, usually a kid, getting trapped in an elevator. Really? And so I, I had this irrational fear as a kid of elevators. And I remember my mother uh, took care of some of our elderly relatives. And so we'd often have to spend a lot of time in hospitals. And I was crippled with fear about getting into this elevator and getting stuck like halfway between, you know, floors eight and, and nine or something. And of course, in my mind, because I watched these stupid television shows, there was inevitably going to be a pregnant lady who was about to give birth and I was going to get stuck in there and, you know, I'd have to help her deliver the baby as a 10 year old. And then, you know, hopefully she would name the baby after me. And then the doors open. And, and then the doors open and, you know, out, I'm you the know. hero. Right? I don't think they happen like that very much. So, well, here's yeah. my question. That was certainly <laughs> irrational. And no, that never happened to me. Uh, but how often does an elevator entrapment happen? Is it more than we might want to know? Or is it something that's like, oh, once in a, in a blue moon? This is to alleviate your fear. Yeah. Right. And you're, you're telling me because now. I'm still petrified of elevators. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it happens as much as it, it does on television. seems to me. <laughs> I have a very skewed perception of this, right? Like mm-hmm. when, when there is an entrapment, we have a process to alert stakeholders, not just the people at that site, but some of our executives are on those emails. Right they want to know right and so i mean i have a really skewed perception of reality i've never been trapped in an elevator but there's times when i think geez i'm not ever going to get into an elevator today <laughs> so you're so, saying that happens more than we, than we i don't think know. it happens as much as i think it happens okay. does that make sense yeah like, it does i might not be a good litmus for elevator elevator entrapments okay, okay? like because i see them all the time but i'm supposed to see the when it happens right <laughs> so, <laughs> that's your job to see it when it happens right, right, right yeah right. So what's the what's the process when someone is trapped in an elevator? You find out about it, mm-hmm. and then what happens from the point you find out to the time they're miraculously extracted from this elevator? Good question. So um, obviously we document the record in a ticketing system, but we don't stop there. Like we don't want anything to go wrong with this mm-hmm. incident, right? So what we do is we have um, we have contact information for what we call an escalation. That's what um, the team calls it. So every location, every shift has an escalation process. And what I mean by escalation is it doesn't just stop with a couple of people. We call through the chain of command until someone answers that call and takes ownership of it. So for any escalation we follow, it, it could potentially go to, you know, um, an assistant that sits in the shop, supervisor, manager, director, regional director, area vice president, all the way up to our national vice president of operations. And that happens, you know, um, so. That has happened, that's like. Frequently. Wow. Not frequently, but it does happen. And so everybody on that list, it's a standard process for all of our sites. Everybody on that list knows what to do. Okay. If they hear from my team, you know, they know like, okay, I'm on it. We'll get somebody over there. 
Okay. So it's really a, a pretty cool collaboration um, across like, you know, that, you know, a hundred different teams across the country in my group. You know, it's interesting. It strikes me. Um, and I'd like to get back to the transactional mm -hmm. calls that you have every day or that, that you experience uh, so often, but it has to be quite the experience to have that call come to you if you're the coordinator or the agent to have that go, okay, there's someone trapped in an elevator. Yes. And I know that sometimes in the call center arena, you know, it's not very sexy. And it can you get know, repetitive, right? You were yeah, mentioned yeah. 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 you know, one hundred interactions. I think I know where you're day. going with this. So yeah, it's just like how do you handle that um, horrific call right. as opposed to some of the other some you know, the routine. How do you handle right. it? Yeah, it's empathy. Yeah, sure. So for starters, not everybody has a crazy fear about elevators. Like I did. Yeah. <laughs> and do. Like, I, I don't think, not very many customers call us like yelling, I'm stuck in here. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> They'll just say, hey, we're in an elevator and we can't get out. You right. know, it's still, it seems a little more calmer than what they show on I would sitcoms. not be. I would be freaking out. <laughs> it's so not like what they show in Hollywood. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. But um, we look for coordinators that can think critically. Mm -hmm. So we are highly transactional and that's usually in call center world, a breeding ground for being scripted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that lets you script your agents verbatim. Right. We do not script our team. We go through a training process that gives them the tools and the knowledge to make some of these decisions and speak freely to customers. So most of the time people love that. But because of that, we look for a couple of key traits within our coordinators. So we, we really want someone that has a lot of empathy. Hmm. You know, I will take someone that has a lot of empathy, is super approachable, can carry on a conversation before I will take someone that has had five years of call center experience. Right, right, right. Not to say there's anything wrong with call center experience, um, but we don't want to have to retrain everybody on some of the patterns or behaviors you might have brought over from another right. call center. And it's also like, how do you train empathy? You can't really train You have empathy. to hire for it. Yeah, you've got to have empathy yeah. or you don't. You can train people on software uh, yes. that might not have that experience, but if you're not an empathetic person, that can't be trained. So, yeah. And how do you, I, and I, I, don't, I want you to keep going on this track because it's sure. awesome. I'm just curious during the interview process, how do you gauge for something like empathy. Right, well, we go through a couple of different processes within our interview process. We look for behaviors instead of skills. Our potential coordinators will have a chance for job shadowing. We've, I feel like that's a really big thing. It's gotta be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm like it is for us and if you if it's not that's fine like we get it so they'll the job shadowing um they will shadow one of your existing coordinators yes. for a day or for a, for maybe 45 minutes oh okay yeah and then we want to really find out the questions that we have we're looking for examples on tell me about a time when you took a really bad customer call mm. how did that look or when you interfaced with someone that was really upset about something that was not your problem or not because of you mm -hmm. Um, we ask a lot of questions around how they might interact with people, what they view, you know, how they view different customer service things. And so what I tell my supervisors is if somebody comes into an interview and says, I love customer service, 
I love it. I don't, I don't really buy that because mm. I mean, I like customer service. Does it weigh me down some? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's where we, we spend a lot of time discussing what our ideal agent looks like. Mm. And we want someone that comes to us that aligns with our values within our company that looks at this as an opportunity. You know, I have a really high promotion rate outside of my department. People come in to the contact center and get placed in other functions. And that's just not typical for a contact center. So we also look for that. We don't necessarily hire someone just to stay in the just contact to stay center. in the call center. Right. In my experience, like it, you know, usually two years after two years of being in a highly transactional environment, it, it's pretty difficult to re- remain engaged. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a lot of different processes and a lot of discussions with our coordinators about what do you want to do? You know, what can we do to help you get there? What do you need to do? What feedback do you need? You know, if they come to me and they say, well, I want, you know, to be the manager of marketing. Okay. Like, let's see how you're going to get there. It's not going to happen if that job gets posted tomorrow. Right. 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 So um, we do a lot of different um, career coaching, but we really are looking for culture fit. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're going to fit into my team and the culture, you, you've got to have, a level of flexibility being a five-year-old company like Medexcel, things change a lot. You have to be able to think on your feet and understand that you may make mistakes, but we want you to think through each scenario and we'll coach you and tell you what you can do better next time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do want them to engage in the culture. We have a fun environment over there. I was so, going to ask you a little bit more about what that culture yeah, looks yeah. like. Um, well, one of the things that um, we really talk about within my leadership team is what's driving our culture here. Mm-hmm. Like, are you influence? Are you being a bigger influence on them than than anyone else? Mm-hmm. Or what can we be doing to engage the team in this way? Or what do we need to be doing to make this happen? Mm-hmm. And so we work on that a lot. We do, um, you know basic things like we might have competitions with the group or we post the top three performers for the month and um, we have a newsletter that goes out and this newsletter isn't written by myself or my team it's written by the coordinators Mm -hmm. and so sometimes it's going to talk about what quality is but there's always a feature of like they might interview one of our executives to share with the team and so we kind of let them this is kind of atypical for contact centers. We don't just let them do whatever they want, but we try to say yes. Right. <laughs> right. To Have them that, create that culture yeah. for themselves. Yeah. We try to get them off the phones to participate in the broader corporate culture. So right. um, Medexcel has core values that are aligned with more of a Catholic tradition. We are faith-based. And so, mm-hmm. you know, service of the poor, creativity, dedication, integrity, reverence, Those are really important to us. And so we want to make sure that our team is engaging in that as well. Mm -hmm. And so when there's volunteer opportunities, we get a lot of volunteer opportunities as a group. We try to get our team in it. We have a wellness committee for um, our office. And so we try to really let our team participate in that when we can. That sounds great. And so some of it is culture is being driven by the leadership. Um, And I'm not saying me, I'm saying like my leaders under me that 
interface with our sure. coordinators every day. But it definitely does involve you as well as a director, as a leader. I mean, that's you're hugely impactful on that, of course, which is awesome. And it sounds like leadership by example. Right, right, right. It sounds like you guys have a really cool atmosphere of empowerment. We try. Yeah. And I think that just the fact that you you stray away from scripting everything that those coordinators do sounds great. It, It sounds like you're sort of giving them the keys to be successful and to create a customer experience that goes above and beyond. Yeah, because you do hear about that in call centers, right? That the high rate of turnover because they feel like they're just doing something repetitive and they're so scripted and so narrowly boxed in. So this this is a great way for them to really, like you said, be able to troubleshoot things through on their own way and helping whoever is on that other end of that call. Right. You mentioned empathy, too. What are some of the other things that you really look for in like a rock star coordinator? What one of the, some of the things that I talk about with my supervisors is that I really want people that want to do more. That's hard to find. Mm. Do you mean people who are ambitious, who want to take on more and more responsibility? Or more or... aspirations beyond just, I want to yeah. get this job okay, today. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, more beyond the call center. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have an opportunity to come into this team and learn about a whole industry. And it's an industry that's not going away. Mm-hmm. Right, compliance and facilities maintenance and all of that stuff is going to be needed in healthcare right. forever. Right. You know, we really talk a lot about that. You know, this is how you play a part in the service delivery. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. Our leaders within MedExcel recognize the value of the call center and they, they, t- they come down and talk to them. You know, that's a huge thing to my team when they see one of the vice presidents walking around and saying hi to them. And, you know, they, that's, um, part of the culture at MedExcel. Like that's, that's something that we we're very fortunate to have with, with our organization leaders that do that. That are actually involved. Yeah. They care. When was the last time you saw one of your executives walk around your office? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it happens, but sure. it happens frequently for us. Mm-hmm. And, actually, um, um, one of our executives a couple of weeks ago was in uh, our Raleigh office and we shot Nerf guns at each other as we ran around uh, our sort of common space. So yeah. that was cool. Yeah. But that's that's an outlier. That's not not everybody. We don't has shoot that. Ner- Nerf guns. No Nerf here. guns. Okay. You know. I recommend it though. Sometimes we also are like a safety and compliance. Okay? <laughs> You're also big into safety and hazard. compliance. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> now you mentioned Medexcel is a five-year-old company. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about. Um, how to get started. What are some of the things that people should be looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, That's a great question. Um, it's not easy, mm-hmm. right? So I think if I were telling someone, you know, here's how you should start, I would really talk to them about, you've got to choose the right people first. You, None of your systems, KPIs, processes will matter unless you have your A team mm-hmm. and the people that you trust. And I would also really talk to them about taking it at a higher level and what type of vision do you want your team to be involved in to support your company? Because what contact centers are an industry within an industry, right? Very few companies are just contact center companies. Those are right. the people you go to, to buy contact center services. Right. And so there's always a business a contact center is supporting. And I, I think it's absolutely critical that the leader of the contact center is an avid student of that business. 
Uh, I mean, maybe that person came from the industry, but like me, I did not come from facilities management. And I spent a long, I spent the first few years, and I still am, just really learning anything I can about what drives our industry, what's mm-hmm. important to our leadership, what's important to our customers, why are, why is Medixcel important to our customers? I mean, it, you know, they're never going to call me to replace an air handler myself in, in a hospital, but they're going to call my team when it's too hot or there's something wrong with the HVAC system in the room. And I don't ever need to know the technical side be te- beside right. that, but understanding that and appreciating that technical side on what this team is supporting is critical. And so when you turn that around to like the contact center industry as a whole, the contact center has to be involved in the part that they're supporting Mm -hmm. or they have to understand why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so spending time developing that won't be time wasted. And then, you know, the other things follow, like the type of system you want to be in, Mm -hmm. what, what you want that system to do, understanding maybe networking and understanding with other leaders in the area of like what are the features you would never give up right or what are things that you have to have if you left your call center to go to another call center what do they have to have for you those are all things that you spend time thinking about it you know you have to really understand the deal breakers for you forecasting is really difficult if you're starting up so understanding I have no idea what my volume is going to be next month, my call volume, because I'm bringing on five new customers and I don't know what those customers are going to bring us. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a learning curve. And so I think that there's a lot of information out there on how to deal with that. For me, particularly, I came from a healthcare um, services company, mm-hmm. so I had some idea of the size of this facility might drive some of these calls. Um, but I think partnering with the community, if you're in that position of launching a new call center and figuring out, you know, what would you do in this scenario? Because there's not going to be a right or wrong answer. You have, it's trial and error if you're starting up and you have to be crazy about process improvement because what you do on day one, isn't going to be what you do on day 201. For sure. As a leader of your team, there a guiding principle that you try and instill in them so that they know they have your support to whatever needs to happen to take care of the customer. Because a lot of times, you know, when we talk about um, calling into a business, maybe it's, you know, some cable mm-hmm. provider or something like that. I know my experience has often been that I, it's clear that they don't have, the person I'm talking to on the mm-hmm. phone does not have the permission from their leader to do the best thing, to do the right thing, the easiest thing for me, the customer right away. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you do that eradicates that fear or gives them permission to do yes. the right thing for the customer? Well, I try. I think the biggest thing for me is I've watched a lot of people over the years get onboarded into a call center. My current call center, the one I was at before. And this always happens after their training where they're just like, you have two different, usually two different types of people. People that are like ready to get in there and figure it out for themselves. And then you have the people that are just like, I think I need five more days of training. They can, you know, you have to kind of push them into the deep end. They don't want to take the training wheels off. Yeah. Just yet. Right. And the biggest thing that I, I tell the people that are like that is that, yeah, you're going to mess up. You know, we, we expect that it's okay. We're a company that wants you to learn and grow and develop, and you cannot do that without messing up. And really, if you look at the facilities management industry in healthcare, 
we're we're a differentiator for MedExcel. There's not a lot of centralized dispatch groups like mm -hmm. us. So very rarely would I will I find someone that's do, doing exactly what we do. And so that that puts us in a position of we gotta train train them. And so what I have told coordinators over time is just like, yeah, you're gonna mess up. There is anything you are going to do that we cannot undo. I mean, you you talk about the craziest thing as an elevator entrapment. Well, people aren't dying in those, right? right? So good to know. <laughs> That's never I, happened. Why, where were it. you when I was 10 years old and, and petrified? I needed someone <laughs> to tell me that. You know, if, if there's a situation in a hospital where lives are at stake or, you know, heaven forbid, there's an active shooter, they're not going to call right. the maintenance department. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. They have processes and procedures. Now, we may have a part of that, and it just depends, but it's not going to be something that, you know, oh, you're going to take all of these calls now, Stacey, mm -hmm. because we're on lockdown and they need a place to call. No, we're not in, involved in that. So when I when I talk to people, I'm like, they you need to encourage them to mess up. That's how you learn. Hmm. Dare to fail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is trial and error. We're not going to get someone that's ever done what my coordinators do. Right. If they do, I've not found them yet. Mm -hmm. So we really want to make them. It's really about building up confidence going back to what i was saying like what do you look for we also look for people that can receive feedback right they get our processes on the first 90 days is they don't just end training on week two they go through consistent coaching with their direct supervisor for 90 days and during that time you need to soak up all of that information that's what i tell tell them like if you have that opportunity with your supervisor for 30 to 45 minutes take it in ask the questions Keep a log of questions that you might have because we cannot train you on 100% of the things that you're going to hear. So, yeah, how could you? Yeah, I mean, you get all sorts of calls. Right. You know, we really look at it from a perspective of let them fail, you know, and let them let them know that they, they can fail and they're going to be fine as long as they're, you know, receiving your feedback and making meaningful adjustments. And we're looking for progress, not perfection. Right. Part of this is also coaching your, if you have, if you're a leader of leaders, coaching them like, yeah, they're not going to be perfect. They come into this door just like the rest of us with stuff on our backs that we might not be able to leave at the door, but we want to see progress in the right direction instead of this was a perfect call. I just want to make sure perception that of failure into a learning yeah, opportunity. You're continuing to progress and understand and learn. That's awesome. Do you, do you listen to the calls? that your coordinators are taking? How often do you listen to them? And yeah. how do you process what they're doing if there are some opportunities that they have and then give them the feedback of what you heard? It's a really good question. And also, do they know that you're listening to yes. them when, they, when you are? They know. Okay. This is one of those deal breakers. If I was starting a call center over again, deal breaker is you have to have the ability to record calls. You have to have it. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're a startup. I mean, that might be a pretty big investment, but that's going to exponentially increase your value to the organization as well as your learning ability, right? What we do is we call it our quality program. And our quality program involves monitoring and listening to about eight calls a month per coordinator. We can look at that every month and we track trends over the process team. And the process, the, the team knows the first week you're on the phones that your calls will be scored and called and monitored. So it's not like they come to their first meeting and be like, guess what? We're going to listen to all your calls today. <laughs> right. It's not like that. It'd be terrifying. Yeah. People hate listening to their own calls. They hate it. Yeah. 
I, we're doing a podcast right now, and one of my biggest fears is actually hearing my own voice. Yeah. So I totally understand that. <laughs> right. Um, it's really, it, if you've never had that happen, it's almost like, oh, this is me. I don't want to listen to myself, you know. So they know that up front. It's a pretty standard thing that they know. Um, and then we spend time, when we score the call and we review it per our standards or whatever, we will provide feedback to them. And so the process is that we, we have this many that we monitor a month, and then we go back to the, the coordinator and review it with them. They get a copy of the call, they get the what the feedback was in their inbox. So they, they have all of that in their records as well. I worked in the healthcare business many years ago, and I was in charge of the dining and dietary operations of a hospital in a very large city. And I remember this very well because it was Super Bowl Sunday. It was the Super Bowl where uh, Katy Perry and the Dancing Sharks <laughs> yeah. were happening, like member left shark. I was watching that at a friend's house and I got a call from uh, my one of the supervisors that worked for me in the cafeteria. And she said, Nate, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's sewage falling down from the ceiling on top of the salad bar. Yeah. So that's no. an interesting problem to have. So I didn't that's get a to finish. Facilities problem. I was gonna yeah. say, I wish, I wish <laughs> that I had You would have called my known. team. <laughs> so when you get those sorts of crazy things that can happen, like I guess what I'm asking is, can you share any stories that are crazy, weird, crazy, insane, hilarious that you have uh, yes. experienced in this business? I probably have more stories than I can share here, but um, <laughs> you know, sewage time. is an issue in the hospital. Okay, mm. like it comes out of everywhere. <laughs> sewage just comes <laughs> out of everywhere. I mean, it's not it doesn't just randomly come out everywhere. <laughs> but you know, you talk about it falling on a salad bar. I mean, we we don't get calls like that very often. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's kind of one in a million. I would yeah, say that was a fluke. Yeah, <laughs> the worst kind of. Fluke it was a terrible have, fluke. Right? Yeah. I mean, we get it, you know, toilets overflowing with sewage, obviously sinks. No one understands how that can happen with a sink. At least I don't. Yeah, something someone's using that sink in an incorrect way, yeah. I think, if that's happening. I don't know. Um, you know, this is the part of my job where I'm like, I don't want to know. Actually, <laughs> I'm not going to ask any questions. I'll just tell you when it happens. You guys take care of the details <laughs> out there. I don't want to know the details, but we get calls for removing birds and ERs. That's always a weird one birds for me. Birds You're scared of elevators. I'm terrified of birds. Really? So, yeah. Did you watch Alfred Hitchcock when you were young? No, I just, uh, I don't know. They don't like me. Well, <laughs> okay. they can be mean sometimes. They terrify they me. There's tons of geese out here in the parking lot. I know. They're, they're I don't want to be around them, okay? Yeah. They will hiss at you. They will hiss and at you. you. They will run at you, though. Yes. I've, I've, I've been challenged by yeah. some geese in my day. You know, they I'm, stepped up barely over five feet some of them are almost <laughs> as tall as i am okay so yeah Same i don't problem. know and we wear our heels yeah. to compensate for the height so <laughs> like us getting Just away from the taller geese. than the geese <laughs> you know right. your yeah. your fear of you know being trapped in an elevator i'm not nearly scared as of that as being trapped in an elevator and a bird flies in. <laughs> because of my fear was being trapped in an elevator with a pregnant lady yours is being trapped yeah. in an elevator what with an irate bird goose or the bird <laughs> <laughs> or a snake you or know, a snake the our, our customers down south deal with get, snakes yeah snake calls yeah wow so very samuel l jackson snakes on a plane but this time it's snakes in the hospital yeah 
And you guys are sort of the Samuel L. Jackson that has to swoop in and, <laughs> and save the day. And yeah. save the day. That's usually an escalation call. So, you know. <laughs> so you have like escalation calls and crazy stories, right? Really. Yeah. Samuel L. is on the way. Um, so you've had elevator entrapments. You've had sewage coming out of sinks. You've had birds in an ER. That's insane. And so, yeah, you're right. It's not really when you onboard somebody you probably have to make it clear to them, you're gonna face some things that you never thought you'd hear about. Yeah. And just be prepared for that. No, those are the funny stories that we laugh at, mm -hmm. right? Um, but obviously my team speaks to, to patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we tell them, we tell the people that come on board, like we're not gonna be able to train you on everything you're gonna hear. That's where we want you to like use common sense, right? Like, and let us know when we can help you, you know? we have this thing, like, here's something, say something, right? right. Like, if you don't know and you're not sure, it's better if you say something, then let it go. Um, and, you know, we've had, this happened like a few months ago where a patient called my team about a TV. And it was, a, you know, what, sound, what turned into a, a very straightforward call turned into this patient telling the person on my team that, you know, he had lost a family member that day. They were all in a horrible accident. And it, it, it transformed the meaning of what we're doing with them, right? Like, it's not, this isn't just about fixing TVs. It's you no get, longer transactional. Right. And it's okay to take time. And it's okay to show the empathy you feel is appropriate for that. That's what we really want. When someone is telling you information like that, mm -hmm. we want them to have an appropriate response. And so what I mean by that is this person handled it amazingly. She was like, I am so sorry to hear this. And I'm going to make sure your TV gets yeah. addressed right away. And just really um, engaging with the patient appropriately. Right. Like, mm -hmm. Sir, I'm so sorry about this. And I, I can't imagine, you know, those are the times where I feel like, you know, we really get to celebrate my team mm. because there's no way I could have trained them on that possibility right no way right we talk yeah. about that in customer experience right like those power of moments and right. how that has an impact and a lasting impression on the patient whether it's with that hospital or just with that interaction with that one person it was somebody stopped listened and really cared about me for right. that maybe one moment and that yeah. can make a huge difference in that person's day that person's life for that moment so yeah definitely a very important role that your coordinators have right. we we play this video um it's it's put out by the cleveland clinic you can find it on youtube and um it's there's not a lot of there's no dialogue in it it's all set in a you know with music and you see different people in a hospital interacting with patients and a lot of times people think, oh, that's just going to be the clinical staff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, nurses are going to interact with patients. You know, the front desk might interact with a patient. But this video shows that every employee mm -hmm. interacts with the patients, like the maintenance technician who's walking on the hall with the tool cart, you know, might pass someone, you know, see little, you see little words above these patients to say, I just found out I had cancer. Right. Right. You know, and so it we show that to our team in, in a training moment, like this is what we're doing. We may not be the ones helping mm -hmm. directly with the patient care, but we're supporting those people that are doing that. Mm -hmm. And all of this matters, you know, it's 
that's where we tie our purpose as an organization to what my team is doing. Right. Um, and it's I, really I think an that's an ecosystem a, yeah. around the whole, whole hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're not going to save a life and they're not going to, you know, I mean, they haven't yet. Let's just say, I haven't, yeah. maybe I haven't seen everything yet, but they are going to be, they, they could be that voice to that mm-hmm. one call, that one night where nobody expected it to happen. And the people you have need to have a heart for that. And, you know, I think when you're looking for the right people, it's important to, obviously they have to be able to perform the job, right? But are they going to fit in your culture with your organization? Will they catch on to the fact that, yeah, we're not a clinical company, we don't provide clinical services, but we support the clinical services in 150 hospitals, which plays a huge part of the healing environment and what what those hospitals are trying to accomplish for the sickest people in the communities. You talked about operations across across the country, mm-hmm. and sometimes you'll be also dealing with times when there's natural disasters. Tell us how sometimes some stories, I guess, around yeah. some some of those incidents and how your coordinators and your dispatch center really made that difference. Well, one we have um, emergency management and safety mm-hmm. um, group, and. Their responsibility for our customers is ensuring the safety and emergency management procedures are followed. And I'm probably really underestimating what they do, (laughs) but they're a pretty cool group with what they do with our our customers. So we've had a couple of, um, in the last two years, two of our customer sites were in hurricane impacted areas and needs different things, right? They might be a larger impact versus you know, just some damage. So my team partners with the operational group that's, you know, out in the field and the emergency management team and safety teams when needed. There's not really a standard process for natural disasters, but some of the extra support things that we've done is um, at one of our sites a couple of years ago, we partnered with a local hospital and ensured that Medexcel was just getting out of the way for calls, you know, I'm not a call hoarder. Like I'm not like we have to take every call mm-hmm. all the time. At that point, when there was um, what they call incident command in the hospital, it was not necessary for my team to necessarily be the front in the front. Um, and so we partnered with them to make sure that they got the calls directly to the local site instead of coming directly to my team. Mm-hmm. And then later on after that, we helped them document the work orders that came through. It's mostly water leaks, not a big surprise, but the next one that happened was a little bit, they needed something a little bit different. So we worked with the vice president of emergency management safety, and we created what we call the relief process with him. And he was working directly with the executive leadership of our hospitals. So our customer base and the area was devastated. Some hospitals were rerouting patients to other hospitals that were open. And what the ask was is for my team to support the hos- our customer hospital with taking the calls from associates to check in that they were safe. Mm-hmm. And if they could report to work, if they were safe and, and everything was okay with their families and if they needed anything. And after this event happened and there was devastation, we played a tiny, tiny little part in getting some of that stuff coordinated for our, our teams on site, as well as the hospital. Some of the other things that we did within that one is we're just a conduit of communication. Mm-hmm. That's really what we were. We weren't doing anything extraordinary. Mm-hmm. We were doing what we always do. We might've changed a couple of processes, but we were sending information back and forth 
to the key stakeholders in Medexcel that were helping coordinate relief efforts, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, clearing debris in the parking lot or making sure medicine can get delivered to the hospital or sending out messages about um, these patients need to come, you know, is there any space in your hospital for these patients? We heard from this facility this afternoon that can report to work tomorrow. It was a small piece into that. And it, you know, when you script your agents, you don't have opportunities for that. Right. Right. right? This was something we decided on a Saturday morning, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like it, we had two days to plan it out and then to train. And so it was literally a phone call to myself on a Saturday morning. I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm on my way home. Let's see what we can do. Let me see what I, I can come up with. And we went through it really simply. Like, this is all we're going to do. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't work, let me know later. And, the, you know, it was a very big um, win for our customers as well. We were able to take some of that burden off. Because when you're a responder on site at something like that, it's complicated to keep up with what you need to do, but also talk continuously. Right, to have that communication. Yeah. Right, you said earlier something that I loved and I wrote it down and I quoted you. Uh, you said, essentially, my philosophy is help no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. And I love that, especially given what you do and how you're supposed to, or, or how you were charged with empowering your team. That's the goal, help no matter what. And I wonder if more, uh, contact center directors had that philosophy and instilled it. might get me in trouble for putting on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's something about saying yes, right? I don't know if you guys have ever heard that story. Like, parents just want to say yes to kids. Mm -hmm. I tell my boys that, tell me something that I can say yes to. Mm -hmm. If you're going to want to, you know, fly an airplane tomorrow, no, I'm going to say no to that. But... I want to I want to say yes to you. Right. Um, I feel like it's the same thing within a service-minded organization or department. If I have a request, it's not going to be an automatic no. And I get a lot of different requests from different people in our organization. And so, we I really want that to be you know let me say no. You guys say yes. That's where I really wanted to instill on them like you don't need to worry about division of labor or what you should and shouldn't be doing. Right. I want you to go after the support and help them. You, you help no matter what. And if someone gives you heck about it, you kick him over to me and we can figure that out. Mm -hmm. So, so far, knock on wood, <laughs> no one's given us heck about it. But Well, and it goes back to really giving the Asians and your yeah. coordinators that confidence to right. know that, you know what, my leadership has my back yeah. and I can go and do my job. And that gives them a really great sense of pride and purpose, probably working for an organization like that and really will make them more loyal, right? Because you hear that a lot in call centers is like the attrition rate and the churn. But I mean, when you have that kind of empowerment, I feel like they'll have a little bit more sticking yeah, power. Yeah, for sure. And power. I, I think yeah. that if they feel like they can um, help, Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I, this sounds so corny because there's nothing really profound about finding the right agent, right? You, they need to be, they want to help, you know, they, they're the people that are helping. <laughs> and, you know, you can get that out of them in an interview. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you're going to interview somebody that's doing collections and your goal is to help no matter what. Right. Probably not a good fit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if your goal is to help no matter what. You know, sometimes the best people I have on my team never was in a contact center before they came here. Mm -hmm. Dog groomers, 
someone that was over no kill animal clinic or 911 dispatchers. I mean, geez, if a 911 dispatcher comes to my team for an interview, I'm like, yes, yes talk to them. Right. Yeah. They have right. great decisions. Right. Those are things that, you know, thinking outside the box is has always been beneficial for us. Like, mm-hmm. that's why people think it's crazy when we talk to the recruiters. Like, what are you looking for? I'm like, not necessarily call center experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nobody that does what we do. Mm-hmm. And so I guarantee you we're going to have to break some of the habits that they are coming to us with. But I find it's the human element that you yes. want, that you look for. Yeah. That, that seems like to be said. the thread of right. this whole conversation we've been having is that people and humans and how at the end of the day, it's it's that human to human interaction. Right. And even if you have the best possible tools and, and processes <laughs> and processes yeah. in place, if you don't have that human element, to it. It won't matter. It won't matter. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge thing. You know, I think we talk a lot in our industry about artificial intelligence. Yeah, and, that's and a huge thing right now. Exactly. Right. However, AI could probably have alerted someone that that the television, television was, out. was right. off. But he needed to talk to But they guy. needed something else. Right. They needed that human element. He didn't call. I mean, like, when you think about that instance, I thought, I've thought about that a lot. It's like, gosh, he didn't really call us to tell us about the TV. It wasn't about the TV. Right. He just needs somebody to yeah. listen to him yeah. to kind of give and him a so, virtual I mean, hug. That doesn't happen a lot, right? That's kind of a, a rare instance. But it's not that I don't want things. You know, I want the new and shiny products. I would love AI. I just don't know how to conceptualize that yet. Right. So, I mean, it's not like it won't happen. But right. if, if we don't have the right people doing the right processes, no system will matter. Right. If somebody came to me and said, what would you do to start a call center? And they have. I've had, you know, mm-hmm. people have asked me that. I'm like. You've got to find the empathetic people for them. I mean, there's never going to be a time when someone won't want to talk to someone at one point in your company's history. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know any company that can just get by without interacting with a customer. Right. And I don't really like companies that ha- don't put their phone numbers on their websites. Yeah, it drives you know? me crazy. Yeah, it's I like, just well, want to talk to a person. Right. right. Like, I, you know, I have gone through your bot. Right. <laughs> they don't know the answer. So mm-hmm. who do I call now? You right. Know? What is, how long have you been in the space? I should say. Um, 11 years. 11 years. Yes. Um, prior like what's to- kept you in that for that long? You know, especially for somebody who is like anything I'm but call centers. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. never going Everybody back. Everybody asks yet, me that. Yeah. Here you are. Personally, I just really enjoy working with people. I mean, I'm a people person, so, right. but I also really like learning what the, what we're supporting. You know, I said call centers are an industry, usually within an industry. And I really enjoy that part. I really enjoy learning about the industry that I'm in. I mean, I didn't come from the facilities industry. I had, you know, no idea outside of my grandfather being in construction and me being around plumbers and HVAC guys, I didn't really know anything about this space in healthcare. And so, you know, twofold, I I just like learning. I'm I'm kind of a geek about that. I like to understand how we fit in and I love process improvement. I love figuring out how to solution things and solve things. I feel like if you're in the call center, you have to have that. I mean, there's there's always an issue. Right. Mm. There's always something that comes up. The other thing, too, is I've, I've been very lucky with the companies that I'm at. I mean, I, I don't 
I stay for the, the people and the company that I'm at because th their values align with my personal values. And I feel like they, they respect and they trust what I'm doing. And so, I mean, you know, it's kind of twofold, honestly. I've always been in mid or like mid-size companies. I've never been in that type of mm -hmm. organization. And um, we're a decent sized company, but you know, I, we're still within a spot where I, I know a lot of the people still that are everywhere. So that helps as well. Isn't it amazing how much yes. it helps to work with people that you just enjoy being around? Right. That you I enjoy mean, actually coming into work right. rather yeah. than dreading right. having the Monday blues. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, I can, I mean, I'm not being whatever about it, but like, <laughs> this is my career with Genesis is the first time that I've actually looked forward to coming into work. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoy going in and being around those people because uh, it is a culture thing. And I love that that's a big part of what you love about what you do. In oh, fact, yeah. like in our conversation, you know, I've always thought, man, call center agents and coordinators are just some of the most heroic people just to have to put up with what they put up with. And oftentimes that routine and just being on your toes and prepared for anything, you never know what you're going to get on the other end of that line or call. And a lot of times it's negative coming at you. Yeah. Um, I wonder how you encourage your team to process when they get somebody who's uh, either they have to deal with a situation that's pretty dire mm -hmm. or uh, someone who was irate or whatever. How do they have to agitated? Like, how right. Do, agitated. How do do they, is there something that you kind of have in place or a way to deal with that? Like, okay, you're going to take five and then yeah. what was in keep place? them motivated you, to yeah, still be able to take the too. rest of the call. You know, I think more than anything, um, we don't have an official process because it doesn't happen too much. Right. That's kind of a one-off scenario. So when I, you know, let me just, let me answer this by telling you a story of when I was an agent. I sold phone systems right out of college. Mm -hmm. Similar company. And we had field technicians um, that my team supported. One of the processes we had was um, they would call and say, hey, I'm not going to be in today. And we would put them off as like they can't, you know, put them, tag them as they cannot receive work orders or calls or whatever. Very standard, very quick call. It was early in the morning. I was one of the first people, and was like first shifts, and I got I got a call from a person's wife. She was hysterical. She was like, "He killed himself last night." Oh my goodness! And that was a moment for me where it's like I was able to take a break, you know. And I remember calling my boss saying, "This is horrible. Like, I need a moment." You almost go through a trauma. Like, what's gonna you know? Am I gonna get another call like this? And so I, you know, we, we do let them take the time they need, obviously. I mean, I don't know who would say, oh, get back on the phone as soon yeah. as you can. We do a lot of processing with them, like talking it out, right. telling them, you know, nobody would have known how to handle that. You, it was, I'm so glad they got you because if, you know, if they would have called a different group or the operator, you know, we don't know. I mean, assuming yeah. they have the same skill set, but so we, we spend a lot of time talking about it celebrating some of those moments that are appropriate to celebrate because we want them to feel like we're proud of how they handled it. And so this goes, you know, I'm going to always tie this back to our culture. We don't work for a company that um, would expect you to just turn it around on a dime right. after something like that. And so in instances where people need a moment and that happens, we let them take it. 
you know, even to the point of like, do you think you can fill your shift? If not, we'll make arrangements, we'll make accommodation. And so I think it, it just relates back to like, you, you give what you get, right? So I was able to do that 10 years ago. And I want my team to be able to do that because we do, you hear crazy things. And how, how do you ever prepare for it? Can you ever? You can't. You can't. But we want them to feel empowered. We want them to feel like they have the resources available and that they have support. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of the, the big things, right? Medexcel also has an engagement process or associate engagement process. So I, as a leader, I have a lot of pretty cool tools available to me to understand what my team, where my team stands on things. And, you know, when I talk to my supervisors about it, like we're going to go through the state of the state, like <laughs> what's going on. And so we do, um, we do surveys. We do things like that to understand where our employees are with some key initiatives that we're driving or just how they feel about our culture. Would they recommend someone working here? And we look at that data and we have action plans around them. I think one of our action items last year was we want a newsletter committee. Okay, that's an easy thing to say yes to. So we, we use that format for them to process what they want, mm -hmm. like the culture that they want, but also to understand where are gaps as a leadership team? What can we be doing to make this a better place to work. I'm held accountable to that. I hold my leaders accountable to that. And it's something that is very important to our company and the overall culture that we're trying to do. So I think that's where we, I have a lot of support in that area, you know, where it comes from. This just isn't me. This is something I've learned. This is, this is important to my leadership team. This is important to our culture as a company. And so we really, you know, if you talk to my coordinators, like what's the engagement and what's the model community, they know exactly what to say because we review those results with them. Right, right. That is awesome. Yeah. I love, yes. love, love this conversation. Thank you, Stacey, for having it. I want to ask you a couple of other questions as we wind down. Sure. That are just silly questions. <laughs> um, are there any um, one or two uh, books that you find yourself recommending to people that have had an impact on either your personal life or your career or you as a parent? Yeah, that's a good question. I have a couple. Career-wise, it's called Dream Makers. I'd have to Google this. It's basically, you know, a manager is someone that fulfills dreams of your associates. The second one, or your employee, um, is How Full Is Your Bucket? I refer oh, to that yeah. a lot. I, I'm a huge Bruckheimer Marcus Bruckheimer fan. Strengths Finder, that's another one that I've really enjoyed. We've Strengths done Strengths Finder? Yep. Strengths yeah. Finder. It, it's talk, it talks about, you, you know, when we go through personal development, we do a lot of assessments on these are the gaps that I have, so I'm going to focus on those. The theory behind it is don't focus on your weaknesses, focus on your strengths. That's mm. where you perform at your optimum level. Those for work are, are pretty key for... That's great. Yeah. It's interesting to find what strengths finders, depending on where you are in your career, some of those uh, elements shift too. Right. They so, do. Have you yeah. done that? Yes, I yeah. have. Yeah. I thought I found that really interesting. I am in the in the dark about this. <laughs> I would like to know what my strengths are. I will bring the book for you. All right. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Other than my devastatingly handsome face. I mean, you do look like that. Which Pitt, is why so. I'm doing a podcast because <laughs> I have a devastatingly handsome They're face. They're pretty, it's yeah. a pretty fun exercise. We did this with my whole team, even the coordinators. And one of the things I really enjoyed about that is some people just don't know, you know, and you mm -hmm. go through an assessment and you ask and 
you know, we talk about, well, this is why we're a good team because we have all of these strengths. If everybody had one gift or one strength, we would not be where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely true for the people that report directly to me. We all have very complementary mm-hmm. um, strengths. So that's good. Stacy Weber, what are your like top three strengths? Well, one of my top strengths is winning others over. Nice. Yeah. You might have that one too. I don't know. Woo. <laughs> I don't know. The woo. The woo. <laughs> I know. I was telling my super, one of my supervisors I was doing this. She was like, well, you have the woo. So it might be okay. Have the woo. Yeah. The woo. That sounds like something like I've got a bad case of the woo and I need some Pepto-Bismol. It sounds pretty bad. It sounds rough, but I like how you're talking about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, developer. Mm. So developing people and the problem solving one. I can't remember what it's called. Maybe resolver or mm. resolution. I can't remember the name. But that's it. Have you done this, Mari? Yes, I have. What are your strengths? Oh, geez. Do you See, remember, it's harder to remember. Yeah. Oh, you remember like your uh, top three um, or a couple? Futurist was a one. Futurist? Yes. What does that mean? So not like looking into a crystal ball and like, oh, I, seeing I mean, I would ball. want one of those. I would yeah. love that power. <laughs> <laughs> but having that ability to think three steps ahead, okay. like of what if this, then have a plan for that. So like a strategic planner, like you're yes. a good sort of mental chess player. Right. And okay. so my other strength to complement that was um, strategic as okay. well, too. And I think something along the lines of like the resolver or the learner mm-hmm. was the other one maybe the organizer maybe. for you as well i marie condoed a lot of stuff in yeah. our podcast yeah well, i can do that for my closet <laughs> great <laughs> my fiance uh has marie condoed the hell out of our house i have not i've avoided that show like really the plague that's only going to make me feel really bad about my lack of oh, organization. It will. it will. I mean, but everything sparks a joy for me that I have. <laughs> so I've been having a really hard time and letting things go. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I have the book. Yes. I and I tried too. to get through the book and I'm like, look, I'm not going to hold everything in this house to find out if I get joy from it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you this stack of crap right here. I get no joy. <laughs> But we need it. <laughs> it's probably someone's socks. Hook. It's probably someone's I socks. <laughs> I know. I, I will say that a lot of my T-shirts with holes in them, mm-hmm. we're not bringing anyone in my house, Joy. So yeah. I no longer have them uh, anymore. <laughs> but man, does the house look amazing. Yes. It looks amazing. Uh, Stacy, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yes, thank, thank you, you. Stacey. You we're having a great conversation. Awesome, and thank you for uh, putting up with our really, really hot recording it's studio. Really hot here, yeah. I've tried not to breathe very heavily because I run hot anyway. Like I'll start sweating in like 55 degree weather. <laughs> and uh, so I'm a little warm here, but thankfully I haven't dripped on any of our equipment. Well, if we were patients, this would probably be a priority to call. Exactly, yeah. I would call you. I always think that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, ooh, 32 in here. <laughs> I'm calling What's that right number? now. What's the Darn number it. that we need to call to get one of your Thanks a lot, Stacey. I really enjoyed our Thank conversation. You. I appreciate you coming Thanks in today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Stacey. Thanks.